I'm delighted to welcome you to yet another panel uh, in today's forum. Uh, and this is the traditional panel, uh, the ship owner's point of view on uh, industry trends, challenges, opportunities, and risks. I will turn over uh, the floor to the conference chairman, to Mr. Chavliris, uh, who is going to give the introductory remarks. And then we will proceed with a panel discussion moderated by Mr. Zolotas Ovrina. Uh, and he's going to present uh, the panelists. Uh, but from my side, I would like to thank you all for contributing to the success of this forum. Uh, George, the floor is yours. Thank you, Nico. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I presume it's been a bit of a long day today, trying to follow the conference through uh, the internet, which is obviously not the best of circumstances. First of all, I'm looking forward to perhaps a more progressive and, uh, and uh, proper conference next year when we're in Cyprus. God help, you know, God, God be with us, so we can actually be there in physical presence. But in the meantime, I think we've done a hell of a good job um, due to the amazing organization which has been uh, set up by the organizers and Nicholas Pozonis and his team. And on that note, I'd like to suggest that this uh, following venue, I think it will be fairly controversial not because the, the people who are speaking or make a presentation are controversial, but because the topics they've got to cover are controversial. But in that particular regard, I'm sure that our moderator who's taken over the, the who will be moderated during the session, Mr. Spiros Zorotas, will be head of a good job. The actual topic we have here is a ship owner's perspective, navigating through industry transformation in a fast changing world. world. Now, fast changing world, ladies and gentlemen, I think today's circumstances that's probably the total understatement because the way we're going now, I don't think any of us can really uh, fairly suggest that we can actually keep up with the pace, but it's probably the effort we're taking, the effort we're making rather, and the fact that we're probably getting a tremendous amount of enjoyment in the challenge which we had ahead of us. On that note, I'd like to pass the floor, pass on to the, the, to the podium to Mr. Zolotas, who'll be the moderator. And I'll be, probably be the bystander here. I'm not going to be involved directly. I'm just going to listen to our, my colleagues. Unless uh, Mrs. Spitzelotis makes the mistake in asking for my suggestion or intervention. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a great afternoon. Thank you. George, thank you. Thank you very much. And your presence in, the, in, the, in this round table is absolutely important. And any time you feel, let's say, uh, that you can jump in, do. We need your wisdom and the... Uh, uh, your knowledge, but of course we have a, 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 a very exclusive uh, set of panelists that will try to cover this uh, theme, which is uh, very broad, but being, as you said, very properly in, <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a phase that things are happening around us. While we are talking are happening and very fast, while we do not realize it, and they are not happening only in technology, they are happening in every aspect of the business. They are happening in the regulations. They are happening in the way that financing is done. They are happening in the, happening in the business models. So they are happening in the, in the way the supply chain is also being uh, fed and is being, let's say, managed. And we have faced also this disruption during the pandemic and we have seen how fragile things can be. Uh, so in this new environment, don't forget the labor, new, uh, um, uh, qualifications will be needed for the people, training, reskilling crews regarding new technologies, innovation, all these kinds of things make this very moment, which is not a moment, but is a series of moments happening now, very important. So 
With the help of, of our panelists, which whom I, I will uh, right now present, uh, we will try to reply to some of these questions and try to set some light forward because there are too many questions for all of us uh, regarding this. So I have the privilege to uh, welcome in the panel, Mr. Aristides Pitas. Aristides, welcome. Aristides is chairman and CEO of EuroDry and EuroSeas. I would like also to welcome Ms. Ioana Prokopiu, Ioana Calispera, CEO of Prominence Maritime. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Mr. Polis Hadzioano, CEO of Save Balkers, who is also representing as vice president the Cyprus Union of Sipones, who is very active and has done a lot of interesting movements. Welcome, Polis. Thank you for being with us. And uh, last but not least, Dr. Nicolas Hadzianis, who is CEO of Universal Shipping Alliance, and uh, also uh, Nicolas, through he, the company and through the Cyprus Union, has contributed to some interesting proposals that we will speak later on. So I don't want to waste time on that. I would like immediately to pass to a round of questions, but this we will try to make it as an open discussion. So uh, there is no, uh, let's say, uh, uh, fixed uh, uh, things that we're going to discuss, but we will try to be useful to who is listening. So let's, let's be focused on the mega areas that we said before. I would like to have one question from all of you. It, uh, and, and it's very simple. Uh, uh, with all this, what we have said, do you think that this is a good moment to invest in these new technologies that are around us or uh, new ships with new technologies or new technologies on existing ships? Is a general question that I would like the opinion of each one of you. And in case of technologies, which one do you think that could be, let's say, the technologies uh, that uh, you think most appropriate to be, um, to drive the future and to be invested on? Paul, would you like to take this question, uh, opening the floor? Yes, thank you, Spiros. Uh, thank you. Look, I think ship owners traditionally, over the years, uh, uh, are reinvesting uh, uh, the money they make in uh, the few good years we have from time to time. We are investing back to the business. So it's not a matter if we want, if we... It's, uh, uh, or if somebody forces us to do, it's a matter that if we have the liquidity from the previous cycle to reinvest those money. The tanker sector had a good 2015-2019 uh, uh, period. They reinvested, I think, on uh, new ships uh, in 2020. The, the container ships are having a very good period the last 10 months. Immediately, they invested the money on uh, new technology. The dry bulk owners, the last four months, we have a good market. We started reinvesting the money back in, the, in, the, in, the, in our business. This is the, the only thing we know to do and the only thing we are doing because you have to remember the, the irrespective of the environmental regulations, the, the ship is, a, is, an, is an asset that has an economic life of 20 years or a little bit more in some cases. So you have to throw the money back to renew the fleet. So the thing now is, if we want now to invest on these technologies, the, the answer is, at least for me, we don't want, simply because those technologies, we don't know what they are and what uh, if, it's if it's a correct investment or is something that will be obsolete after five years. And we'll be trying to find a buyer left or right or east or west to buy the ship and we invest somewhere else. 
this is this is the biggest headache we have. Thank you, and there are a lot of questions jumping out uh, of what you said, Paulis. Thank you for, for opening in that way. But before, let's say, asking again on that, I would like to complete the round and go to Ioana. Ioana, would you like to, to give you to give us your opinion on that on that question of investments or new technologies, new ships? Hi, Spiros. Hi, everyone. Very nice to see you all. Thanks for organizing the call as well. Um, I want to start by saying something that's very important and uh, we've been discussing about it a lot recently is that ship owners have invested a lot for the sake of the environment, starting from uh, environmental uh, uh, lube oils to ballast water treatment systems to uh, VLSFO to double hulls, etc. And we are more than delighted to continue to do so. So I think this is something that's given. Um, but moving on, I think what is important to state, and it goes to what Pauli said, um, we, th at the moment, there are no proven such technologies. If, let's say, we wanted to invest in a new ship, there is nothing that is guaranteed to take us through the life cycle of the ship, which is estimated to be about 25 years. What I would do if it was, uh, if, let's say, I was called upon to, to invest in a ship, I would do one of two things. One is what is currently being uh, very much discussed upon and is quite popular, which is the LNG propulsed ship. Or the other thing, which is very uh, is proven and has a known uh, environmental benefit, is redesigning a ship and optimizing it for lower speeds. Because at the moment, this is the only thing that is proven and tested and doesn't require anything exotic that we're hearing about and is known to reduce the fuel, the, the fuel consumption, which uh, proportionally reduces all of the emissions, not just CO2s. So um, if let's say we optimize the uh, cape size from 14 and a half knots to 12 knots, that would reduce 30% the, uh, the, the CO2 emissions and the NOxes as well, plus particular matter. So if I were to go ahead and uh, invest in a new technology, I would invest in a, in a ship that uh, sails at a lower speed at this point. And for existing ships, Joanna, do you think uh, existing ships are worth uh, investing on technologies that are around, let's say, or would you leave them, let's say, to slowly phase out through the regulations? Or... What we see about existing ships and what we're implementing in, in our company is the, the importance of uh, live monitoring. So you can very, you can immediately know when your ship is over-consuming, underperforming, uh, etc. And then you can organize either for a hull cleaning or for, a, a, you know, hull fouling to be uh, uh, anti-fouling paints, etc. Now, in terms of the, uh, the new technologies that we're discussing for existing ships, let's say, I don't know if you have in mind like the rotor sails or something like that. We're talking about huge investments with marginal uh, environmental benefits. So I haven't been convinced by any of this new technology. I think what is very important is close monitoring from, uh, from the shore and uh, technology nowadays gives us this opportunity to be able to live stream a lot of things from the ships. So this is the one thing I would invest in, in live monitoring from the vessels to the shore. Great, which is an operational let's say, measure that of course will be could have a, a, a significant benefit. But let's move uh, to this round of questions. I would like to ask Aristides. 
uh, on the same topic. What is your view, I see this on for your company in general about these new challenges? Well, th thank you, Spiro, and uh, it's good to be here again uh, with Capital Link uh, in Cyprus, although virtually. I can tell you there's no comparison between uh, being in Cyprus and having this meeting. It's much more fun, much more interesting. I think most of us are quite tired of staying in the office and connecting virtually. But anyway, this is the case. I think things are changing though, and soon we will be meeting in person, something that we all need. Um, it's It's been... Uh, a one and a half year that has been uh, amazingly like uh, going up and going down first and then up in our markets, uh, just confirming how volatile shipping is. And we thought uh, back in 2005 to 2010 that, you know, we won't see such extremes again, and, but we have already seen them and perhaps even more extreme. So shipping is a very cyclical business uh, with uh, many difficulties to, to face. Amongst all this cyclicality, we are now facing the very rapid change of the top priorities globally. And the top priority globally has become uh, to, to cater about the environment. I think that we have all understood how important it is to, to protect this environment. And uh, I, I think all of us here in shipping agree that we should do what we can and uh, we should try and uh, reduce emissions as much as possible. Uh, we cannot do it on our own. We need help and we need the technology. And, the technolo and, and this discussion about changing technology or, on shipping, which has been traditionally the last to change technologies, uh, and uh, a follower of other industries, uh, now suddenly we face the requirement to do it quickly and very quickly. And it's not going to be easy, but we're going to try and uh, assist in that, in that as much as we can. Uh, both Polis and Ioana said how th that an investment in a ship is between 20 and 25 years. You have to recoup it in that period of time and we don't know what the technology will be uh, five years down the line. So that has made uh, investing in ships a very difficult task. And, uh, you know, we as shipping were afraid that we would not have a good market uh, because of all these requirements. But all these requirements and all this change, which is necessary, uh, uh, I say, have resulted in... Uh, two things which are very good for shipping. First, that we are not ordering ships. How can you order a ship if you don't know what the future, the future fuel will be? So we have the lowest uh, order book uh, of the last uh, 20 years nearly uh, at this point, which is a good thing for shipping. And then the only obvious solution is the slow steaming that we've been saying which again is, is good uh, for, for uh, shipping and ship owners. And as Pauli said, you know, when we make profits, we can also contribute even further uh, in improving, in, in improving uh, 
the, the efficiency of ships and, and the reducing the greenhouse emissions. I cannot be more precise because nobody knows. And I leave it there for now. You are absolutely right. And, and in the end of the day, how I interpret the, 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 what you have already said, all the three of you, and then I pass to Nicholas, is that, yes, in fact, you are going to use the vessels to manage the vessels that the shipyards will provide to you, that the engine makers will fit their engines inside. You are not the ones who dictate what is going to be the fuel or what is going to be the type of the vessel. But of course, now we would like to the voice to be heard in order, in order for the regulators probably to take a holistic approach for what they do, not only putting a burden only on the vessel itself and penalizing uh, this. In the end of the day, the transport, this is an essential service provided by the vessels to, 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 to our civilization. This is the way we have built this society and we have to continue doing it. But you are not the ones, the shipyards, the engine makers, regulators are going to be more, have to be more clear. That's, uh, a clear message from all the three of you. And I would like also to have the opinion of Nicholas on that. Maybe you have another opinion, Nicholas, or same? How? Can you please tell us? Um, hello, hi, Spiro. Hi, hi everyone. Um, if we're talking about uh, small investments for incremental improvements, uh, I, as Johanna said, uh, we've, we've been doing that for the past many years and will continue to do so. Like, for example, invest in new anti-fouling, or telemetry, remote monitoring, derating, slow steaming, etc. Uh, now, if we're talking about big investments in new ships, uh, I, I tend to agree with uh, Pauline and Stevie, who said it's it's obviously not very compelling. It's a risk that uh, you can't take if you don't know what's going to be obsolete or not in, in five years. Uh, personally, I think that. Um, we have to get to zero emissions at some point. And with what's being proposed today, nothing gets us there. So it's a gamble when each of those will be obsolete or not. That, that, that's, why, that's what makes it very difficult to decide where to invest. I, th I believe in um, uh, nuclear power onshore, like the Bill Gates um, molten salt reactor, which is very safe and completely clean. So if that uh, goes as projected, the energy from nuclear power onshore, which is 100% clean, can be used to produce a, a clean fuel, liquid fuel, uh, for example, such as hydrogen paste, which is being developed now, uh, which is energy dense, it's liquid, it can safely be stored on vessels after that and be consumed in diesel, in engines like the VLSFO we're burning today. I think that that's at some point, that will be the game changer that will uh, bring us to zero overall emissions. And that's going to, at some point, replace everything. And th that's my opinion. Until then, I would be reluctant to invest in anything without, you know, because it's not certain that it will be established. Yeah, Nicola, very clear. Thank you, very clear. But on the other hand, I would like to say, this, this energy, this change, let's say that you mentioned, probably to nuclear or solar, etc. But it, to my eyes, it will not happen in a moment. It will not be a, a moment that we will say we switch on to that. So we are always talking about transitional fuels. Joanna said before about LNG something. 
do you think that LNG could be the, the fuel that will bring us there? The technology is there, the infrastructure is there, the engines are there. Why not use it as an uh, as a, as, a, as a vehicle, let's say, to bring us to the, to the next. Well, my personal opinion is, is that it's a very expensive and risky decision to take to invest in a, a, a new ship today when you don't know if it's going to be established and if the fuel is going to be available uh, further down the line. Obviously, things change if you have a, a charter who's willing to, to share that risk. But it's not, it's not a decision that me or I think any other ship owner are in a position to take. Yes, of course, it's not an easy, but I know, you know, by getting information about LNG, the risks that there are, the costs that there are, I tend to believe that it is not, it is much more close to us than I used to, to believe in the past. But that's a topic of another question in Nicholas and Capital Link had a dedicated, very interesting couple of months ago, called Conference of the Decarbonization, where we, we had discussed about it. It was very, very, really very informative one. Um, I would like, so, we close this first round of questions and please feel free to jump in and uh, make your comments all four of you uh, for anything that you would like but um, you have been very clear I would like to go back as I said before because Paul is mentioned mentioned a little bit uh, some, some points that I would like to clarify and he is one among the ones that is already renewing his his fleet is steadily doing it and I would like to go a little bit back on what he said that we, when there is capital, yes, we can invest it. This is the cyclical way that we are going to, we are moving forward. But the regulatory framework, is this uh, permitting us, would you like to comment on that, to go on, to innovate? Uh, in, in, in your case, for new, for your new buildings, how have you dealt about these uncertainties of the future, future regulations? What choices have you, have you made on your new buildings, for example? Yes, uh, look, we didn't have many choices. We, we, as soon as we sensed that the market was uh, changing, we knew that uh, we could, we could, we should start early the fleet renewal process. And uh, the best thing we could find available uh, within the parameters we could invest in and within the financial. Uh, capabilities of our company was to invest in the lower lower carbon footprint, uh, the phase three, tier three new buildings uh, designed by a couple of Japanese shipyards uh, ahead of the, ahead of the uh, increase in demand for such type of vessels. So sometime last summer we start investing in those. Uh, simply because it was the only things that they were available within our technical knowledges and our, uh, you know, our uh, perspective for prompt deliveries. Uh, if LNG was available and we could uh, have done it, LNG uh, uh, bulk areas, burning bulk areas were available by the yards, by the Japanese yards, we would have considered it, but they didn't have such such designs we wouldn't have we didn't they didn't have any such designs and uh, hence we couldn't uh, touch those so we are doing something that uh, is helping uh, reduce the average age of the fleet of the company but without knowing that this will be the long-term solution it will simply help us to be low uh, nearer to the 2030 targets but nowhere near the 2050 targets so we 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 said we have to start from somewhere. We started from that, 
and uh, God bless what else will come a along uh, across the way. So we said that, you know, every old ship we sell, we buy one of those and something like that. That's how we will move on for the next uh, few months until we, we find out what is the next uh, generation of ships we could invest in. Very clear and very useful, the idea. Um, so that's for you, ships. I see this talked a little bit before about the existing ships and the uh, uh, possibility to reduce, uh, let's say, the speed that he sees is more. Uh, and we have now the EXI regulations. Today, finishing them, MEPC 76 is being completed. Then we will have some more results. Practically, is what we were expecting. And then there are also some issues regarding the levy that is, it seems that it is uh, postponed for future discussions by various flags. So uh, EXI will be from January 2023, let's say, in play, and companies are starting to be prepared. One solution is slow steaming, Aristides, as you said. Uh, but do you think that this is for all uh, the shipping sector? You manage also different types of ships. Do you think that this is a solution that will be appropriate for all? What impact do you think that this could have on the sea trade? Yes. Uh... I think this is an interim solution. It's, it's, it's not a solution, it's an interim step, uh, trying to help reduce uh, the emissions until we are able to have ships that do not create any emissions at all. And uh, I, I think uh, th th there is a lot of discussion on, on how correct this is and how uh, applicable it will be and if it's fair to all and uh, there will be different standards for different types of ships, etc. Uh, so it's very difficult to say. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not the best uh, achieve that, that can be done, but it's an interim step and perhaps it's the best possible just now. Uh, the effect of it will essentially be to reduce speeds. And uh, it might prompt some people to put in ducts in their, uh, on their ships in the next dry docking and try to find other means of somehow reducing uh, the emissions. But it will be very little what can be done. What can be done with today's technology is extremely little. So uh, we, we hope that uh, funds uh, will be uh, uh, given to significant research uh, to, to help uh, find a, a more permanent solution. Until the time, we, have to, uh, we will have to do what police did, right? We will have to order some ships, because if we don't order a few ships, uh, you know, the market will, will continue going crazy and there will be no stoppage of that. You see with container ships today, there aren't the ships necessary to be there. Shipping is extremely important and I think people realized it. The, the Suez incident helped us realize it a little bit. The fact that uh, China is, uh, uh, due to the pandemic, creating a lot of uh, uh, bottlenecks, you see it. People are not getting the cargo they want. The consumer is feeling it. They will feel it. So the effort has to be there. Uh, it's certain that the cost will be shared globally for this, but it is a cost that has to be undertaken. So that, that's my brief, brief answer. 
very precise to the point, and thank you, Aristide, but talking about funds brings me to another question that I would like to put to you, and then if Ioana would like to, to elaborate on it. This is uh, regarding new financial models. We see, we hear about the Poseidon principles, the ESGs, then there are also other initiatives like NGOs around, let's say, environmental objectives, especially regarding carbonization. How do you feel about them as a person managing Lead, um, are in the right direction? Do they guarantee the approach that you wish to have in the future? How do you feel about it, Ivana? Thanks for the question, Spiro. I think at the moment we have many proposals for environmental measures and we see a lot of ESG initiatives, but we need to, to question ourselves as to how, how much truly green they really are and where does this money or what they're, what they're claiming to do really goes? Because some of them are controversial. Some is uh, to the opposite side of what the other one's saying. Let's say the ETS, for example, uh, it has an unknown uh, environmental benefit. Now, when we are estimating that it will cost 3.4 trillion to decarbonize our industry, it should be noted that all of the stakeholders in this industry which are, you have the shipyards, the engine manufacturers, the fuel suppliers, the charters, uh, ship owners, politicians as well. They don't all hold the same initiatives when they are participating, the, the, the same motives when they are participating in these initiatives. And uh, I, I think that when judging whether something's truly green, we should look at the environmental benefit of a proposal in an analysis that is well to propeller or anyhow that analyzes a, a life cycle approach. And this should be the only reason why one should uh, justify participating in any initiative that is out there. Um, what we, we, we spoke a little bit briefly about LNG before, and when we saw the Trafigura report, uh, which made headlines about reducing and uh, basically charging for the CO2, and they said CO2 equivalent, then all of a sudden the LNG, which has the methane when it's extracted, et cetera, is uh, out of the question because it's uh, even worse than fossil than uh, the normal uh, fuel that we're burning today. So I think from a ship owning point of view, and that's the reason why we, we're not able to invest in any new technologies because none of them are proven. And uh, a lot of the, uh, those initiatives have marginal environmental benefits, but huge costs and uh, are very complicated when you need to implement them. So we understand there's a battle of interests and uh, we must be able to protect our industry from opportunistic uh, proposals. And one way to judge these things is by looking at the environmentalists. A lot of the uh, uh, proposals that we do for the sake of the, environmental, of the environment actually upset the environmentalists. So this is a good... Uh, let's say compass to see whether we're heading towards the right or the wrong direction. So I'm very skeptical about all of these initiatives. Thank you, Anna. Uh, you spoke about ETS and before, there are a lot of questions we need to touch, uh, like uh, you spoke before about digital questions are coming to my mind from the theme that we have to cover many things, but before, as we proceed, the time is going, passing by, I would like to, I think it is important to refer to this initiative of, of the Cyprus uh, Union of Ship Owners regarding the ATS that Ivana referred before and you all mentioned. 
And I think uh, th this proposal to the EU has been regarding, is, is related to the emission trading scheme, you know very well, in line with the European Green Deal and the IMO strategy. And I think it is an important proposal for the optimization of the sea trade through, through this proposal in order to implement a system and go to the targets of 2030 and 2050 in a very pragmatic way. Nicholas, would you like to give us a little bit of flash on that? And then, of course, Paul is then as a vice chairman of, our, of the CUS, let's say, to, to, to give us more details on that proposal. Sure. Um, well, the, the purpose of the proposal was essentially to, to explain why a more effective approach is uh, necessary than the one being currently discussed by AMO. Um, simply put, uh, even us, when we're breathing, we emit CO2, right? But you can't just tax everyone for breathing. You, th th that will make you, I mean, it can serve to collect some tax revenues, but it's not going to get you very far in terms of reducing CO2 emissions. We all know that ships have to transport our cargo around the world. If it weren't for ships, half the world would freeze, the other half would starve. Unless we're all prepared to go back to the Middle Ages or to even before that, in terms of our standard of living, we have to accept that ships have to transport the cargo. So ship owners, uh, ship investors, banks, they only provide the finance required for shipping. The ship is designed and built with the available technology, it consumes the available fuel, and it goes where the charter tells the ship to go. So until we get a breakthrough solution, uh, the only, a uh, meaningful way of achieving some improvements, I think, is by focusing on the supply chain, on, on the level of the supply chain where the decisions are actually made that have an impact on overall emissions. For example, if a cargo importer decides to charter, um, to fix a very big ship, much bigger than necessary, from the other side of the world, that has to ballast in order to load the small cargo at top speed, that's a very uh, inefficient choice in terms of CO2 emissions. By the use of taxes and subsidies at that level, we can uh, promote better decisions for, uh, that will actually have, have an impact. Inevitably, inevitably, that will result in higher rates paid by the cargo importer for fuel-efficient voyages and lower rates for inefficient voyages. And as ship owners, of course, we'll be willing to accept that. As we're willing to accept as we're willing to invest in environmentally friendly uh, designs and ships when they are available and burn environmentally friendly fuel when it's available. But uh, essentially it introduces a framework uh, and that, that, that focuses on, I think, where an impact can be had. Now, the, the problem I have to point out is that IMO doesn't have the, um, the authority to implement such, such a thing. IMO can only impose regulations on ship owners, and that's why we have to resort to others who can, such as the, the EU. And that's what we've done. We've, we submitted to the EU. They, they've responded that it's uh, going to be considered seriously, and, and we're uh, very optimistic on it. Yes, and I think it received a lot of attention, this, uh, this proposal, and we are in the framework of Cyprus. And, and I think this is up, up to the theme. I would like to ask Paul, as vice chairman of the Cyber Union of Ship Owners, to make a comment on that submission. Andreas Hadzignan is the chairman, had been the one that uh, 
uh, led this uh, kind of thing. Uh, how would you like to a little bit to elaborate more on that, or on that? I think it's very important submission. Look, uh, what uh, was uh, the submission was about the who pays for what? I mean, uh, which party is it? The the taxi driver who pays, or is or is the guy who? Uh, moves his own cargo from A to B, he sells the cargo, he makes a profit on the cargo. Because the owner is uh, carrying uh, cargo of other people, we don't own the cargo. Without the cargo, we wouldn't be there. So it's the cargo that is polluting and not the ship. The ship is just a method of transporting the, the, the cargo. If you don't want to move the cargo, we do some other job ourselves and we, we, we do we go in the in the tourist industry and we buy a hotel and we we offer services there. So what we do, we do it to move a cargo from A to B for people to be able to have a higher uh, standards of living, to be able to consume uh, uh, food, to be able to build airports, bridges, uh, uh, roads, to enjoy the benefits of uh, of. Uh, of raw materials they don't have available in their in their land uh, to have the wood that uh, you have in ample quantities in the forest in New Zealand to carry it to China and you put uh, some uh, uh, goods to have to build uh, to have furniture for your house if we don't need all these things there's no need for uh, anyone to pollute or for anyone to transport uh, Cargos or for oil, we don't need to carry oil, we don't need to move it around, we don't need a Japanese TV, we don't need a Korean car, we don't need a Korean uh, stereo or whatever music or whatever. So basically, it all comes down to who, who, who owns the cargo that is moved around the world and generates uh, income and jobs and uh, wealth and uh, growth. The ship owner doesn't uh, generate wealth or growth. You invest in the asset to do the transportation. Uh, we, we could easily, that's why it's called also Trump, Trump shipping. We go from everywhere to everywhere. Uh, we may be sitting in Athens or in, uh, in Monaco or in Cyprus or anywhere in the world. We don't pollute by being somewhere and reading emails and typing messages and uh, giving offers and receiving counters. <laughs> Those who pollute is the people who have the factories and have the farmlands and they move the cargo and they make billions and billions of dollars profits. And the ship owner is called upon to serve all these people. And uh, in the end, uh, not to pay for the environment himself. Of course, we will pay our fair share and even more than our fair share but not everything on our shoulders simply because we are not the, the we are not the owners of the goods we are not the owners of the goods yes, that's very clear Kaken, and thank you for for for, for that but going a little bit out of this still going back to technological things i would like to ask you anna and, and we have been talking a lot because the theme is of course is broader is a, is a panel that uh, ship owners perspective on the fast change in world but today decarbonization is what makes things uh, change so fast and all the models that we are building we are building around this kind of, of, of target so this decarbonization and urgency Ioana, do you think that um, there is obvious need to experiment with new materials new technologies 
hydrogen, ammonia, fuels, whatever you, you think are on the table, also creating confusion, even also we classification societies many times, uh, let's say in that kind of, in, instead of clarifying things, we make them sometimes more complicated, but uh, we are here trying to assist understanding what is going on. Um, um, do you think that this is bringing risks to safety probably? Would you like a little bit to, to touch upon this kind of challenge? Yes, Peter, thank you for your question. Um, speaking about class, we've discussed a lot of uh, you and I and um, with other classification societies as well. Uh, I think, I'll make a little parenthesis because it's partly what you asked, but um, I think that class has a very important role as the person that is, as the institution that provides technical knowledge when the, all of these decisions are being made. And your contribution is invaluable. And I think that it should remain impartial. You should still uh, do your uh, papers to support or to clarify, to educate us as ship owners, etc. And uh, that it should be, a, you know, the technical knowledge is something that is missing from our industry. And especially when regulations are concerned, the people making those regulations rarely have the technical and practical skills to be able to suggest things that are doable and that can be implemented. Now, going back to your question about the new technologies and the new materials, etc., what we saw over the last years when we had the, the ballast water treatments, the new fuels, the scrubbers, there were a lot of uh, uh, difficulties uh, during the, the beginning of the phases and, th and throughout, especially with the new fuels. It's been very challenging. We see uh, ships having blackouts. We see problems for... Uh, scrubbers that are not working, etc. And we've seen there there have been a number of incidents and accidents as a result. So uh, the technical knowledge and things that are easy to implement and are practical is very important. But I think that the, what worries me most when it comes to the new technology is the fact that all of this needs to, to be operated by human beings, uh, uh, aka the, the seafarers. The seafarers at the moment, we there's a lack of seafarers. It's difficult to find qualified crew in any of the situations, let alone when we're asking for people to perform tasks that would be difficult even for, a, let's say, a chemical engineer. So I think that we're going to see a lot of issues as a result of the, uh, of the capacity of the crew. Apart from that, you know, um, the obvious is that ammonia is, is uh, toxic. Uh, hydrogen is corrosive, needs to be under extreme pressure, and all, all sorts of uh, new technologies have a lot of risks associated with them. So I, I am uh, worried about the safety of uh, all of these new regulations that are being proposed. But can I jump back to what Polly said about, uh, about the, uh, the environment and uh, how we follow advice and how we follow orders from uh, our customers? I think there's been one misconception and we need to be more proactive when it comes to uh, educating the public or educating the end user, educating the customer. Because if one decides, I've said this a few times before, but if somebody decides to have uh, pineapples in the middle of winter in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the town of Bristol, they need to understand that when they're making this choice in the supermarket, they're making a conscious decision to choose something that in order to get there had a big uh, had a big environmental footprint. So then it is very, uh, I, I, I think that there's a lot of lack of uh, 
um, educating the public. And it's very easy to make all of those headline news and to, to point towards uh, the ship owners and say, okay, they are responsible for everything that's wrong about the environment when it comes to polluting, etc. So I think as, as an industry, we should be more proactive when, uh, when addressing these issues and to see more from the side of the, uh, of the end user and how it should be noted that how their actions actually influence whether something's going to be, whether you're going to have a big environmental footprint or you're going to be more environmentally friendly. Uh, can I jump in one second? Exactly, exactly along with uh, what Joanna is saying, the, the purpose of the paper, besides educating the public about these choices, the purpose is to move the taxing or subsidies closer to where the, these decisions are made. That's the main purpose in order to achieve an actual reduction in emissions, not just um, shifting the blame. Uh, I mean, not, not, not just paying. It's not just a matter of who pays. It's a matter of how a taxing or subsidizing system is going to be implemented so that we actually achieve um, an overall CO2 emissions reduction as opposed to just collecting revenues. Tax revenues. Thank you, Nicholas, for, for pointing this out. I think I think your message has been more than clear, let's say, on what. And we got a couple of questions. We have a question regarding how proactive ship owners are in finding innovative solutions. And we said, uh, and you said it properly, you are ready there to invest on the technologies that are to be provided. And technologies have to be doable, practicable, also bringing the vessels forward because we cannot invest in a technology for the next two years. It's, a, it's an asset of 20 years. I think you have said all of you very clearly and the question is answered, I think, uh, completely. Uh, before closing, because I think we have only four minutes and uh, we close it, I would like also to, to give, uh, uh, to, to ask in the end, uh, George, if he's satisfied as conference chairman about the messages of our panel and about what we have been discussing. But we have not touched the human element. Two questions in the end for Aristides, uh, two questions combined in one, Aristides. Autonomous ships, do you think they are here, they will be there in the future? And this is connected to the human element. Do you think that we, we need to, we have shortage of skilled personnel, that's, that's not something new. That's something that we, 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 we I have been hearing in various conferences, discussions for many years for various reasons. Um, how we can overcome this problem? And do you think the solution could be to have autonomous ships or less manned ships? And what would be the incentives of bringing better people on board, more qualified career in shipping being, let's say, their uh, objective? Thank you, Spiro. I, I think that the, obviously in the future we will have uh, initially less crew on the ships and then semi-autonomous ships and then autonomous ships. I think the world is going towards uh, that direction. But it will take time. It doesn't happen so quickly. Having said that, I was listening to the radio today and back in the 1930s, uh, there was this discussion in the United States about uh, what, uh, how many people uh, were involved in the agricultural business in the United States uh, and what would happen with the, the technology that was coming up and all these people were losing their jobs and it was a, a huge issue. At that time, 40%, 45 I think was the number, 45% 
of the people in the United States were really working on the land. Today, this figure is one and a half percent. The machines are definitely helping and they will continue to help and they will help in shipping as well. But there is the, this significant intermediary step where the technology is making fast advances and it's becoming more and more difficult for the crew to be able to handle these uh, issues. And it, you know, everything is becoming a black box now on board the ships. So, uh, and one solution that all of us are taking and all of us are working towards, which is telemetry, which will allow us to monitor the ships much better from our offices. This is something that's already happening in order to, to, to be able for, for the human element to be able to, to follow what's happening in technology. The, the, this, is, this is a very significant step that, uh, that is going to happen. So apart from the initial problem, which is finding the new technology, everything new that comes up that helps a little bit here, a little bit there and a little bit that, needs people to understand it. And that's an, the second issue in, in making this technology work. So we are in for a huge change, but it will take time. And I think the bottom line of, of, of what we are saying here is that we ship owners, we want to assist as much as we can, but we cannot do it on our own. The ship owners, the ship owning companies are very small comparative to the uh, big uh, multinationals that uh, need our needs, that require our needs. We are extremely small to do it alone. We need the help of everybody and eventually the consumer. And we have to do that somehow fairly so that shipping doesn't stop, not even for a moment. Because we saw what happened in Suez when, it's, when just one pathway stopped for a week. What, uh, 10 days, what was it? So shipping must be there and it must be helped by everybody to find solutions. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I wish we had some more time because uh, this is a topic that would be a whole conference and have been said very perfectly before. Before passing to George in closing, I would really like to thank Nicolas for the opportunity given to me to moderate such a distinguished panel. Uh, it, is, uh, it speaks by itself and I think the message has been very clear. Thank you all. Ioanna, Paulis, Aristides and Nicolas. George, to you. For, are you satisfied? You have one minute. A yes or no? One final point. Um, first of all, I believe that the human factor, the human being will always be uh, necessary in shipping. I don't really believe in, I believe in, 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 in technology, but I think the autonomous ship is a long way to go. And I think the human being is going to be a definite prerequisite for the safety of our seas. Secondly, going back to the point of educating the public, um, yes, but be very careful that we're not patronizing because effectively in the last few years, the shipping community has been on the firing line so we have to realize that when we're talking to the public at large, we're, working, we're not working uh, in being a patronizer overwhelming, but it's actually a situation we're working with them. The holistic approach, as you emphasized a couple of times during the conference and during, as, as Mr. Mitchell has mentioned this morning. On that note, I'd like to thank you all very, very much. Thanks for the synergy. I always find these issues are learning curves for me because I'm learning all the time. And uh, thank you very much for the participation and the, and the, and the great discussion we had. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thank you. Thank you from me. Thank, Thank you. you very, very much. Uh, this is always a great panel. I mean, all the panels we have today have been top notch, and this is uh, a tremendous one. Thank you very much, all of you. Thanks. Bye, everybody.